Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We're your host, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 24. Wow. Moving right along. Wow. Wow. What number do we go to? Do we ever take a break, like for season two? I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of surprised we already have 24 out. Yeah, that's intense. It's a lot. I was talking to one of my coworkers, and he had said that he had read somewhere podcasts that aren't going to be successful. And I mean, you can gauge success could mean many things, right? Yeah. But if they're basically going to quit, it's less than seven episodes. Oh. So we're killing it at 24. Woo! Next episode will be a quarter. Everyone will get 25 cents. Listeners, just kidding. <laughs> no, don't. no. I'm, no. I don't know how many listeners we have, but I still have a grad student salary. I can't send y'all 25 cents. We already spent enough money to produce this podcast yeah. for your enjoyment. I spent so. those cents on the microphone. Probably can't even tell. garbage time garbage take out the garbage <laughs> no we are double recording so i think we got that taken care of in the last episode there might be some okay. in between but we won't know about it yeah nope we'll be a little off don't worry about it y'all all right well let's hit it all right so werewolves ghosts zombies sex dolls <laughs> oh my <laughs> I am going to derail the spooky train for this episode, and we're going to make a pit stop back into Murder Town. Toot toot! All right, giving you a break. (laughs) Yeah, give me a break from all this gross sex doll stuff. (laughs) Today, we are headed to Maryland to the affluent community of Bethesda, which is located just seven miles northwest of Washington, D.C. Isn't that where the NIH is? Bethesda. Sarah? Oh, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, I think so. The National Institute of Health for everybody else. But... I should know this. Okay. Like, there's so many acronyms in this world. I could think of a few. <laughs> so Bethesda is known as a bedroom community, which I was not really aware of. There's a lot of sex dolls? <laughs> nope. <laughs> a bedroom community is a large residential area where the majority of the people live... But they don't work. So they sleep there, basically. I'd say, how is that different from a suburb? But Very true. I don't know. I will say I was right. The National Institute of Health has their main laboratory there. Okay. As well as the National Naval Medical Center, if you're interested in that. But it is Mm -hmm. super close to D.C., though. So I can see a lot of commuting happening to go work in D.C., because it's just seven miles, so it's it's not far at all. Traffic-wise, could be, could be long, but... Yeah. 
However, according to some crime statistics, your chance of being a victim of a violent crime in Bethesda is about 1 in 1,689. I don't know if that's good because I don't know what my statistics are for me where I'm living right now. (laughs) I know. Ooh. I didn't look up everyone's statistics, just Bethesda's. But it is considered to be safer than approximately 65% of other U.S. cities. All right. Probably definitely safer than D.C. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Bethesda has a population of approximately 63,000 people, but it is not a city. It is an unincorporated area of Montgomery County in Maryland. Which I never understand what that is exactly, but... It just means there's, like, no town government or, like, local jurisdiction. Like, they don't have a mayor? So, like, really... Is it rural, then? Or... Do they not have, like, a police and fire department? They would still, but I think it would probably be more along the lines of county-based. So, like, out where I live, we have the sheriff's department would respond to a crime in my area versus like a town police right okay i'm not quite sure if that's how it works in bethesda because it is a very residential area but it is also considered to be one of the most highly educated communities in the country with almost 80 percent of the population having at least a bachelor's degree yeah because they're doing all that politicking or working for the nih or whatnot Hmm. a lot of like armed services and stuff too like yeah Mm -hmm. they're probably terrible helicopter parents (laughs) probably coming from a slight helicopter parent coming from someone who doesn't have kids (laughs) but lives in a town where a lot of the kids are the children of professors okay i'm probably not that you're not that bad yeah i mean my kid did just hiss at a little boy so but that's fun that's fantastic and better than a lot of different actions that could have happened instead oh yeah you're not like wanting to change the curriculum you just want pie to be able to hiss at whoever she wants to be able to hiss at let her hiss she's not hurting anyone (laughs) god i just don't want her to get labeled like that kid (laughs) Mm. you know She's got to make some other friends as well that can just be the badass bitches of first grade. I know, right? (laughs) Well, speaking of, so also along with smarts, they've got some money in Bethesda. The median household income is $155,000. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Which is a good thing because the median home price is around $850,000. I think of Bethesda, I could send each of our listeners 25 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. No, they've got those mortgages. $800,000. I will say, though, I would pay more to have less of a commute. Yeah. What's that bell curve look like? Commuting. I don't know. I don't know if it's a bell curve. It might like, not be a bell. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it could be a weird distribution. They might not actually have that many, like, apartments either. They might be trying to keep low income out. <gasps> Rude. You know, so they wouldn't provide, you know, those cheaper kinds of apartments. Yeah. I'm shit talking about that. I have no idea, but. <laughs> we gotta go visit. We have to know. The median income, the median income, which means there's stratosphere income happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the story that I have for you today is the Lululemon murder (laughs) or the yoga store murder. You may have heard it referred to as one or the other. That's right. I was going to wear those leggings tonight and I forgot. I was going to say, this is when uh, Sarah can do her little pitch for Lululemon. I forgot to ask realdoll.com to sponsor us. So maybe Lululemon might. (laughs) That'd be great. I do really like the brand. 
I mean, at least I, from the most recent ones, which were like four years ago now, but still. But you still have them four years later. Which is something to be said, yeah. I don't know that the quality is still the same in 2021 as it was in like 2017, but 2017, Lululemon quality, perfect. Top notch. So go back in time, listeners. <laughs> there might not be supernatural aspects to this case, but the price of these Lululemon <laughs> leggings might be considered ghastly. I agree, which is why I don't own any. The average price of a pair of leggings is around $100, and they go upwards of $298. I do not have those. I have like $90 pair. (laughs) I've never spent $100 on any pair of pants. Really? Right? No. I buy all my pants from American Eagle. Okay. And I will till the day I die. True. But like I have things that I've gotten from Nordstrom Rack. They're like Joe's Jeans or Paige or something like that that retail for that much money, but you get them for like 40. I don't really do that kind of shopping. It doesn't really appeal to me. I like that kind of shopping because it's like I have quality name brand stuff that feels nice and holds up better than like Target jeans. I'm going to say American Eagle. They did change their jeggings recipe, but like... Yeah, the recipe change for me was a killer because I don't like it anymore. Oh, you have to buy the right kind. The sateen ones fucking suck. Sponsor us, American Eagle. (laughs) I need... My... Actually, my jeggings are getting towards their end point. It's probably been three years of constant wear. We gotta go shopping. There's gonna be crotch hole soon. (laughs) My next life is a sex doll. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I need to find a We just like vetoed that for you. Yeah, no. (laughs) Thank you, guys. So, Sarah, if you are looking for a good clearance deal, you would still end up paying about $78. Yeah, they really don't go on sale. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, some of those brands don't, and they know they don't have to. Yeah. Exactly. Why would they? They're like, we're the shit. And you're going to buy us, or you're not. Well, I will admit that I paid about $10 for my last pair of leggings, so I am not quite so familiar with this type of luxury. (laughs) What kind of leggings do you wear, listeners? (laughs) We'd like to know. Do a brand you swear by, because I might not want to have to spend that much money, because I'm spending that much money on plants. I know. (laughs) Yeah, Sarah has to cut her clothing budget because her plant budget is overtaking everything. Actually, though, I don't need to buy new leggings because my Lululemons are still going strong. I have three pairs, all of which I've gotten because of birthday gift cards and such. Not from my own money. Awesome. (laughs) So thank you, family members who have gifted me those. (laughs) They've really (laughs) been going for like a total of maybe seven or eight years now. Not a bad, that's not a bad gift card. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're still killing it. And speaking of killing, yeah, let's get down to the killing part. Segue coming on. We could talk about leggings for an hour, but I don't think you guys want us to. (laughs) And plus, I need to go to bed. So yes, we're gonna move on to the murder. I do have a caveat. There is a book called The Yoga Store Murder, The Shocking True Account of the Lululemon Athletica Killing. It's by Dan Morse. I ordered this book, and someday. Someday <laughs> I will read. I believe this book. in you. I thought you had. I thought you had read it. That's why you were doing the episode. No, no. Oh, it's okay. I skimmed it for details, and by all accounts, it really does seem to be a very well-written book. So I think at some point I will enjoy it. But again, I am a mom. I work full time. I just recently started back commuting. I have literally no time for anything. We're going to have to get you audiobooks. Audible, sponsor us. I know. Exactly. Please, please do. 
So this is the story of the Lululemon murder. On the morning of Saturday, March 12th, 2011, just before 8 a.m., Rachel Ortelli, who was the store manager, arrived to open the Lululemon Athletica store in Bethesda. She found that the lights were on and the door was unlocked. The store appeared to have been vandalized and Rachel thought she heard moaning from the back. So she nope. backed out of the okay, store good girl. and dialed 911. like, Rachel, do not investigate. Well... After ending her call with 911, she turned her attention to a man named Ryan Howe, who was standing near the Apple store, which was just next door to the Lululemon store. Rachel had asked him if he had seen anyone come in or out of the store that morning, and he indicated that he had not. He asked Rachel if she wanted him to accompany her inside to see what was going on. Rachel agreed, and they entered the store. What if he's a murderer? I know, right? Or maybe he's a true crime fan. I don't then know. Then if he's a true crime fan, he knows not to enter the place of... I know. Oh. As the pair looked around the store, they noticed bloody footprints. So you backed out again, right? No. Oh, girl, guy. People. Ryan moved to the back of the store where he discovered more and more blood. Behind a door, he found the body of a Caucasian female lying face down in a pool of blood. He yelled to Rachel, quote, it looks like they're dead, end quote. Okay. Ryan. His name's Ryan. This is quite a morning. Ryan was just going to go get like an iPad and he found two dead bodies. Yeah. Well, not two. Oh. As Ryan began to walk back towards the front of the store, he noticed the bathroom doors were open and he glanced inside and he saw an African-American female body bloody and bound on the floor. When he kind of leaned into the bathroom to get a better look, she moaned and then he yelled out to Rachel and she called 911 again. Police did arrive within minutes and they secured the scene. Paramedics arrived shortly after and wheeled the survivor out of the store. Her name was Brittany Norwood. Brittany Norwood was 29. She was one of nine children. Brittany grew up in Federalway, Washington. She was a standout soccer player and she was twice named to the Seattle Times All-League teams. After graduating in 2000 from Decatur High School, she earned a scholarship to the State University of New York at Stony Brook, more commonly known as Stony Brook University. She was named Defensive Most Valuable Player one season. She was given conference honors in 2001 and earned a spot at the NSCAA Adidas All-Northeast Region team in 2002. In 2003, Brittany left Stony Brook after being accused of theft. No charges were filed, but the allegation cost her her scholarship. She moved to Washington, D.C., near two of her siblings, and worked at the Willard Intercontinental Hotel. Brittany was described as friendly, engaging, and athletic. Her professional goal was to become a personal trainer, and Brittany started working at Lululemon in 2010 at the Georgetown location and had only recently transferred to Bethesda in February of 2011. Hmm. The victim that was deceased was 30-year-old Jaina Murray. Jaina was born in Kansas and grew up in Texas. She was a star track athlete and held records in discus throwing. Jaina was described as full of life, everyone's friend, and very, very adventurous. From Jaina's obituary, I will read the following. 
Jana attended St. Louis University in Madrid, Spain for two years before graduating with a Bachelor's of Science degree from George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Jana was near completion of her Master's of Communication and Master's in Business Administration from John Hopkins University. After spending five years with Halliburton, which is an oil industry company, Jana was currently a sales team leader for Lululemon Apparel. Step up, honestly. Yeah. Jana loved animals, dancing, and travel. She also carried with her an extensive volunteer resume involving many different organizations. Jana loved life on the edge and to live it to its fullest. I also read somewhere that she really enjoyed bungee jumping, which is a hard pass for yep, me. Yeah, no but... thank you. No, I don't ever want to do that. Yeah. Jana took the job at Lululemon as a part of her research for her MBA master's thesis on Lululemon's corporate model. Even though Jana's research and thesis were complete, she decided to stay through the end of the semester working at Lululemon because she really enjoyed the atmospheres and all of her coworkers and well, potential discounts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, true. She could have bought a lot. Okay. Yeah. Or you could just quit while you're ahead. True. But if you like it, like, yeah, if it's a good environment, I mean, sometimes that's hard to find. It is hard to find. I totally understand that. It sounded like she just really enjoyed being there and everyone else really enjoyed having her there. So, yeah, it's very, very, very tragic. On a side note, I really did try my best to showcase the timeline of events here because this case unraveled quickly super super quick it was very intense for approximately seven days and in the scheme of things i mean this was a very fast-paced case there was a lot of detectives a lot of police presence working on this case day and night to be able to find a resolution for it i feel like in a town like bethesda too they're like does it happen here we gotta figure this out yeah and get us get up some closure. Detective Jim Drury received a phone call at 9 a.m. While en route to the store, Jim contacted his boss, Sergeant Craig Wittenberger. Jim relayed the initial report so far. There were two victims, Jana Murray, who was deceased, and then Brittany Norwood, who was unconscious, potentially raped, and had been transported to suburban hospital for treatment, and it appeared to be an apparent robbery. Detective Drury arrived at the scene around 9.30. Sergeant Evan Thompson was already on the scene. The store had been searched, but no suspects were located, and the responding officers had secured the scene. They said, Ryan, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Scram. Take your iPad and go home. Stop it. You're done. Detective Drury, 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 D-R-E-W-R-Y, Drury. D-R-E-W-R-Y. Like Drury Lane. Drury? Do you know the Muffin Man? Oh, do you know the Muffin Man? <laughs> yes, I know the Muffin Apparently Man. Apparently not. Who's on Drury Lane? Pr- that one. Drury. Okay. <laughs> Detective Drury reviewed the photographs that the first responders had taken. Brittany had been found in the bathroom. Her feet and her hands had been bound. Her pants had been torn at the crotch, and she had lacerations to her forehead, legs, face, stomach, oh and gosh. chest. Oh. Detective Jim... Drury, Sergeant Craig Wittenberger, and Detective Dimitri Reuven would be the lead investigators for this case, but they would also be joined by, like, 
10 or 15 other detectives, commanders, police officers, forensic technicians. So like I said before, there was a lot of people working tirelessly on this case. And they were throwing like everything at it. They probably also weren't spread thin if it's like a well-to-do yeah. neighborhood and they're not spread mm-hmm. thin that has like an LAPD or something. And a, a Lululemon right next to each other is probably fairly yeah. affluent. Yeah. Detective Dury did receive word from the hospital that Brittany was awake and she was talking. Detective Dina Mackey interviewed Brittany at the hospital. And this is the story that she got. So Brittany and Jaina had closed the store at approximately 9.45 and they had locked up for the evening. Brittany walked towards the metro but realized that she had left her wallet in the store. She called Jana, who had the keys to the store, and Jana said that she would drive back and meet Brittany in front of the store. When they got to the store, they unlocked uh, the doors and they went inside to the back kind of break room area looking for Brittany's wallet, but they couldn't find it. So Jana had offered Brittany her Metro card and said, you know, we'll look, we'll figure this out tomorrow. It's got to be somewhere here in the store. So when they were walking towards the front, Jana was in front of Brittany and a masked man came out, hit Jana, and then another masked man grabbed Brittany from behind. Jana's attacker dragged her to the back of the store and out of sight, and Brittany's attacker was like asking about where the safe was, where the money is, and he was, you know, assaulting her and attacking her. And so he was like dragging her to go get the keys so they could get into the safe to get the money. And then he dragged her into the bathroom where he uh, slashed her and then sexually assaulted her. (sighs) Brittany says after that, she blacked out and didn't wake up until she was being transported to the hospital. Wow. That's like eight hours. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Yeah. Police discovered that the store was ransacked. The safes and tills were empty. Receipts were strewn about the scene. There was clothing and merchandise racks scattered everywhere. And then towards the back of the store where Dana's body was, there was large amounts of blood on the floor and an immense amount of blood spatter on the walls. And when you see the picture, I think I have one picture we can post. It's a lot of blood. This is a very, very gruesome crime scene. Damn. Yikes. A toolbox was found on Jana's body, and there were tools like a hammer and a wrench and a box cutter scattered around that were covered in blood. Investigators also located a large knife in the break room sink that was also covered in blood. Okay. There were two visible sets of bloody footprints in the store. One was a smaller, like, female size. It didn't say, like, what size, but a smaller, like, female-sized shoe. And then one was a size 14. So this was potentially one of the male victims. Or perpetrators. I don't think the male was a victim Oh, yeah. No, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, not a victim. He's victimizing. Yeah, I'll say someone that has a size 10 women's shoes, I could probably sneak in as a small man. Could, yeah. So, sorry. Suspects. Yes. Not victims. <laughs> like, I have it, sympathy. It's almost like 11 here. We're, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. This is episode number two for tonight. We're all drinking this week, I think. Meredith gets up at 5 a.m. now. Yeah. I get up at 5 now, so forgive Lots me. Lots of slack here. Many <sighs> blessings. Continue. Oddly enough, these were the only footprints found. There were no signs of the other suspect. 
So you would figure with the amount of blood that there might be some more shoe prints, Mm. but there wasn't. I mean, it sounded like one took Shanna and the Mm. other one did other things, but... (laughs) Yeah. Police would learn from their interview with the store manager, Rachel, that before closing the store the evening before, Rachel had received a call from Jana to say that she believed Brittany had stolen some items from the store. She had them in her bag and didn't have a receipt for them. What about that employee discount? Mm. I know. Rachel told Jana that they would deal with it the next day. While this cast some suspicion on Brittany, detectives were not yet ready to consider her a suspect. I mean, did she, like, hear the phone call? Well, we don't know yet. Yeah. Could be something. Hmm. Might be something. Hmm. Investigators located surveillance footage of two men matching Brittany's description walking in the alley just behind the Apple store next to Lululemon. They were dressed in black and walking very quickly away from the store. And that timestamp from that footage was at approximately 11 p.m., so right around the same time frame. Mm -hmm. Detectives were trying to locate and identify these two men. Detective Mike Karen interviewed employees at the Apple store next door. Most of the staff had been working late that night because they were prepping for the release of a new Apple product. (laughs) That's why why fucking Ryan was there first thing in the morning. Exactly. No one had seen the two men, but one of the managers, her name was Jana Saverzo, she had heard strange noises coming from next door at around 10 p.m., and it sounded like things were being kind of tossed around and that there were people arguing. She did claim to hear an argument and a female scream, quote, God, please help me, end quote. However, no one called the police. (laughs) All right. She did not help. Nope. And interestingly enough, Jana told the detective that she only heard female voices coming from the other side of the wall. So no male voices. Okay, fine, Jana, but But you get, like, partial credit. They don't have to say anything for a woman to be screaming. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, but still. There was, like, noises. I'm way more focused on, like, the scream, the oh, God, help me, and they're like... No, yeah. the uh, iPhone 5 is coming out, so uh, we have things to do. <laughs> we can't We can't leave our post, yeah. Jaina's car uh, was located by a patrolman parked about three blocks away from the store. Okay, that's fucking weird. Mm. Right? I'm assuming there's a parking lot. Right, and she was supposedly had driven drove back. back to the store yeah. to meet Brittany. So the parking lot should be empty. Right, and her car should be in the yeah. parking lot. And to make things just a little bit weirder, Officer Justin Tierney showed up at the scene to inform detectives that he had witnessed a silver Pontiac parked in front of the store around 1230 that morning and someone was sitting inside of it. He didn't think anything of it at the time because there's other restaurants and stuff around, so it might be somebody just out for a smoke break or, you know, headed home for the evening Yeah. Sure. And he drove through the parking lot again around 2.30 a.m. The car was still there, but it was not occupied. So maybe they had a designated driver and just decided to leave their car there. It didn't really raise suspicions to him, but then hearing about it the next day, he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Whoops. I mean, I understand why. I don't think it's a whoops. It's just whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's nice that he told them. Because I've definitely left my car downtown, Sarah, and you drew me to your house so I could fall asleep in your, like, iceberg guest bedroom. (laughs) I guess that's true. Like, it happens. Yeah. 
And he also drove through the parking lot again at 3.30 a.m. So I'm guessing it's kind of just on his route. Yeah. Okay. And the car was still parked there in front of the store. On Sunday, March 13th, 2011, Jaina's autopsy was performed by Dr. Mary Ripple, Dr. Christine Johnson, and autopsy technician Mario Alston. Police began to process crime scene evidence including a size 14 pair of shoes that had been found on one of the displays inside the store. Covered in blood? Uh, We'll get there. Okay. (laughs) On Monday, March 14, 2011, around 3 p.m., police and prosecutors gathered to give a press conference, releasing the timeline of the crime and details about the two persons of interest seen on the surveillance video. A hefty reward of... That didn't Sorry, come out right. I, I thought it was good. you like they were like hefty people on <laughs> the video surveillance. No. I just oh. can't talk. A hefty reward of $150,000 was being offered to anyone with information that would lead to the arrest of the person or persons responsible for the death of Jana Murray and the assault and sexual assault of Brittany Norwood. Detective Drury and Detective Rubin headed to Brittany's sister's home to interview Brittany after she had been released from the hospital. Brittany recounted her story with a little more detail, but the facts still remain basically the same. Before leaving, Detective Detective Rubin asked if the store sold shoes. Brittany said no. They did have two pairs of shoes in the store. One was a size 14 and one was smaller, but they were used for alteration purposes. So basically, if you were getting your leggings hemmed, they would have you put on the these shoes. Okay, but they only have two sizes? Well, they were larger sizes so people could fit in, into them. So it'd be like... I guess so. I did not know that Lululemon didn't sell shoes. And maybe they do now. I don't I haven't I don't been know, but... ever been to a Lululemon, so I have no idea. Sarah? I haven't noticed shoes because usually I just go to either the sports bra or the leggings area. But it seems like if they're leggings, I don't know, are these like the bell-bottom leggings like way back in the day? Because if they're leggings, you just cut them off the ankle. The end. Like I was going to say, who does alterations? Well, if you're buying a 300 pair... $300 $300 pair of leggings, I guess I could get that altered, but like, they're also just leggings. Yeah. But they also sell other sportswear and stuff like that, so it might be for some of the other products and maybe not just the leggings, but... Okay. Anyway, the detectives left Brittany's sister's house and their guts were like, some ain't right. <laughs> they were having a real hard time believing that two masked men came into the store and... Through the front. The murder weapons, yeah. right, were all from the store. The shoes that left the bloody footprints were found in the store. Yeah, that's weird as fuck. Things just were not adding up. They also received Gina's autopsy report. She had over 330 wounds. Mm, that's overkill. That, that's rage, yeah. That's rage, that's personal. 105 of which were defensive wounds found on her arms Hands, and back. She really fought back. But you said it was like 130 and 105 of them. So like they kept going 25 wounds later. 300. 300. Sorry, my numbers today. Okay, here we are. 
You want to do math? What is, let's do subtraction live. I was just thinking like no. percentage. Like they kept going. They, the point is they kept going after she was already dead. That was they deeply had, personal. Yeah. Well, the worst part about this is that the medical examiner did determine that Jaina lived through the, the attack, which was estimated to have lasted around 15 to 20 oh minutes. Oh my God. I'm sorry, what? 300 yeah. plus stab wounds? So imagine how much physical energy it took for the perpetrator to inflict this upon Jana and then for her to try to defend herself. I am out of shape, but if I was someone that went to a Lululemon, (laughs) I I might be able to do 300 stabs. But like, I couldn't do it now. And like, I don't know how you, how did you not hit a major artery? You do not understand the body. Yeah. So the tools that were from the toolbox that were strewn about the scene, they were matched to some of Jana's wounds. The fatal wound was from the knife that was found in the kitchen in the break room, and it had been plunged into the back of Jana's skull (gasps) and had entered her brain. I hate it. Um, That is... Yeah. Did that... So much force. Yeah, that was the the fatal blow. Okay. So it was... I just can't express like how brutal that is a lot was 300 plus Mm -hmm. listeners find a knife and stab a hay bale 300 times but not even a hay bale it's like a hay bale covered in like tons of shrink wrap for it to be thick enough like skin yeah like that's just that's so much I mean, I can barely roll my ass out of bed in the morning so same I I definitely said no thanks (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, yeah, did get up to like noon today. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I have to get a real job soon, Meredith, so, uh, okay. It'll, it will be terrible for both of us. Oh, no, I'll make more money. I'll be able to afford okay. 25 cents per listener. No, I'm okay. not giving you that, though. <laughs> okay. She's definitely going to put that towards other things. <laughs> My credit card debt. Yeah. Moving on. On Tuesday, March 15th of 2011, detectives and crime scene technicians examined Jaina's silver Pontiac. Blood was discovered on the driver's door, on the floor mat, on a jacket, and then on the inside brim of a hat that was in the back of the car. Uh, And then I'm not sure if this happened on Tuesday, and these are two of the ones that I'm not I'm not quite sure if they happened on Tuesday. I've got them listed as Tuesday, but here we go. Hospital reports on Brittany's injuries came over to the detectives. All of her lacerations were found to be small and shallow, and there was no evidence of sexual assault. Did she say she was sexually assaulted? She did, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to take a beer. Sorry, listeners. Okay. So let that sink in for just a minute. And then the two men from the video footage were identified as dishwashers who worked at a nearby restaurant and investigators were able to determine that these men were not in any way involved in this crime. Oh my god, it was just like a coincidence? Yeah, that two dudes dressed in in black black were walking by the camera. Oh my god, that's bonkers. On Wednesday, March 16th of 2011, Brittany came down to the police station to provide fingerprints and DNA samples, hair and saliva for exclusionary purposes. Uh The detectives did take the opportunity to interview Brittany again. This time they were inquiring about Jaina's car. When 
They asked Brittany if she had ever seen it. She had said that she had seen it, but she had never been inside of it. Crime scene investigator David McGill spent the day examining all of the bloody footprints in the store. He determined that the size 14 shoe prints were inconsistent with normal biomechanical movement, or in layman's terms, they had not been created naturally. They weren't, there wasn't a foot in them that fit the shoe. Oh my god, they just like pitter-pattered and someone's like fucking... He also determined that the shoe prints never, quote, left the store, but rather ended near the kitchen sink in the break room. Which kind of makes sense, though, because they found the shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had been wiped off, but there was still blood on them. It's hard to get blood out of things. It is. Especially an athletic shoe with those crevices. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And on Thursday, March 17th of 2011, Brittany's sister, Marissa Norwood, contacted the police to tell them that Brittany had some more information that she would like to share about the case that she had not come forth with yet. Is it, I did it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. But that they would come down to the station around like 10 or 11 the next day. So the next day is Friday, March 18th. Brittany, along with her sister Marissa and her brother Chris, came down to the station. Detectives led Brittany into an interrogation room. Brittany was read her Miranda rights just for... Just just to like cover all the bases. She wasn't arrested, but not she at that was point. in an interrogation room. Probably videotaped. Brittany explained to detectives that she had been scared to tell them this, but that the masked men had made her move Jaina's car. And the interesting thing was, is that they made her move the car by herself. Uh-huh. Oh! But she said she came back to the store after moving Jaina's car because she feared for her life because they had threatened to kill her Hers if she didn't or return. Her life. Because there would be something to be said if Jaina was still alive. If it was like a hostage thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But no. No. Real smart. So, again, detectives are like, um, (laughs) well, now. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for this. She was trying to explain away why there might be some evidence in the car. Like blood? She knew she had told them a few days before that she had never been in the car. But then as she's thinking about her story, right, she's got to come up with some sort of plausible reason for any evidence of her, biological evidence of hers to be in the car. And DNA testing did confirm that the blood in Jaina's car was Brittany's. And specifically, the interesting part was the hat that had this blood on. The inside of the brim match to one of Brittany's wounds on her forehead Mm. so but why does the car need to be moved I don't I you know I don't know that and what I also don't know is what happened to the money no one ever talks about that oh yeah because the money was gone Mm -hmm. oh shit so detectives laid out their theory that Jaina had confronted Brittany about stealing some merchandise from the store and that Brittany had killed her and then staged this elaborate crime scene and story to take suspicion off of her. Such an overreaction. Yeah. Brittany didn't pop to it, but she did ask to speak to her brother. Not her lawyer? No, her brother. And they were still in an interrogation room. And folks, if you don't oh, know this. They're recording you. 
They yes. are being recorded at all times, oh I believe. Unless yeah. you're lawyers in there, but. How many brain cells are they sharing? I don't know. I'm not going to get into like what went on with that, but you know, basically she didn't really ever say it during oh, this wait. time. Time out. Her brother came into the interrogation room. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. The detectives gave her a break basically and they let her sister and brother come into the room. Her sister ended up leaving the room and her brother like stayed in there and was talking with her for quite some time. And then he came out of the room and I mean, yeah, shoulder shrug. Like he's like, fuck. (laughs) Right? Oh. He now knows a little bit more about what happened, but not much because she still didn't like really divulge what happened she Mm -hmm. was just making statements that alluded to her guilt we'll say i mean it'd be really hard to imagine that your sibling would be capable yeah that much violence unless they had already shown a pattern and i don't think she had i mean she had some thefts in in her past right but not nothing this caliber Exactly. So during the break, while her brother and her family members and her were speaking, detectives filed the affidavit for Brittany's arrest. And they came back into the room and and they let Brittany know that she was going to be charged with first degree murder. At 7 p.m. that evening, the Montgomery County Police Chief J. Thomas Manger reported that they had charged Norwood with the slaying of Jana Murray. On uh, October 26th of 2011 is when the trial begins or ends. I don't know. It lasted for a little while, but it wasn't really even a very long trial. They're very fast-tracked over here. They don't mess around. Yeah. So the judge was Robert Greenwood, and he actually did not allow the information about the potential theft to be admitted in trial. So it removed the motive, which was really Mm -hmm. difficult for some jurors to, like, comprehend. So they knew that there was an altercation between the two girls, but there wasn't the why. That would be super confusing. Right? As a jury member, it's like, they just fought? Like, Mm -hmm. and then that happened? There had to be something. Right? However, defense attorney Douglas Wood is quoted as saying, Brittany, quote, lost it end quote. After a fight between her and Jana, he went on to admit that Brittany did kill Jana, but argued that she did it without premeditation. So that would be second degree murder and not first degree murder. (laughs) Still not great. Okay, it might be, but whose car is that? It was Jana's car. No, the car that was in the parking lot. It was her car. Jana's car. Oh, Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah, it was her car that was in the parking lot. Oh my god, okay. So Brittany did not testify in her defense, nor did the defense call any other witnesses or ex- experts to testify on her behalf. So really it was, they were arguing that this wasn't premeditated, therefore she should not get first degree murder. So all they did was do like an opening statement and a closing statement? Basically, yeah. Wow. No wonder it was so fast. Yeah. Jurors said that the brutality of the attack and the length of the attack indicated premeditation. So even without the motive, right, which is a huge thing for most most jurors, right? Yeah. They based their decision on the circumstantial and the forensic evidence, and they did find Brittany guilty of first-degree murder. Okay. Yeah. 
On January 26 of 2012 was Brittany's sentencing. Brittany's statement to the court and to Jana's family was, quote, For the Marie family, what do I say when your daughter's gone and I'm the one convicted of her murder? I know what I say today won't take away the pain over the loss of Jana. I hope for the Murray family someday you'll be able to find forgiveness in your heart. I am truly sorry, end quote. That's like a half-assed apology. It is. Like, we're missing some, um, I I actually did it. Yeah. She did also ask for leniency in her sentencing, but not for herself, for her family. All right. Well, don't stab someone 300 times Mm -hmm. for your family. It's a guilt thing, too. Like, my family will miss me. Like, uh, sorry. (laughs) Are you sure? They might not, actually, because you sound like a piece (laughs) of shit. Right. Judge Greenberg told the court that when he was considering her sentence, he pounded his fists on the dais 330 times, which took him a total of eight minutes. He said, quote, after every blow, you had a chance to think about what you were doing, end quote. All right. He's redeeming himself here. Right. He tried it out and it was like, this is bonkers. Mm hmm. And he was later quoted as saying, you are one hell of a liar, ma'am. Wow. In his final statement, Judge Greenwood said, quote, my sympathy for your plight does not begin to approach what I feel for the Murray family. No matter how long I confine you for, one thing we know is you will live. There will be telephone calls. There will be Christmases. There will be visits. The only visits Jana Murray will get are to her grave, end quote. Damn. He then sentenced Brittany to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Damn. That's good, yeah. So, anyone want to take a gander at what Brittany's astrological sign is? That's too obvious. (laughs) Nope. Gemini? Oh. (laughs) Brittany was born on May 19th of 1982. She's a Taurus. Oh. This is our first Taurus. This is our first Taurus. Because wow. they're normally at home not doing anything. <laughs> so a more evolved Taurus are determined, understanding, kind, organized, and patient. However, Tauruses have a strong desire for extravagance mm-hmm. and yes. great things. That's very true. Which can lead to intense neediness. Or theft. Or theft, right? Mm-hmm. They are often short-tempered people who can be angered easily, so you've got to choose your words carefully with them. So, you know, the whole mess with the bull, you get the mm-hmm. horns kind of thing. Yeah, that's making a lot of sense. Tauruses can be extremely possessive of their belongings, which mm-hmm. often takes the form of jealousy and can make them react in ways that aren't acceptable. So, 300 plus stabs. Yeah. There you go. That is bonkers. I don't... Okay, like, yeah, I guess I... 300 plus yeah. times, though. I feel like a Taurus, because they're so earthy, would have the mindset of being like, okay, that's enough. I have to figure out how I'm going to get out of this now. But I also say Taurus is the least earthy sign. I guess that's true, yeah. Whew. She just saw red. She did, and she had stolen before as well. Like, Well, and also, if she overheard the conversation that Jana was having with the manager of the store, she felt like, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. 
there was probably, I don't know. There's no excuse for what she did. I mean, this was absolutely horrendous. No. But yeah, it was like she was backed into a corner with it. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get, you know, I might get arrested for theft. Like who knows like what was going through her mind. But even her attorney said she lost it, right? She just blew into a rage. Which does make it sound like it wasn't premeditated. But like the jurors and the judge said too, it's like she had so many opportunities to stop. Yeah. And the fact that she yeah. kept going. And then if the car was still in front of the store at 3.30 in the morning, like the one op- patrol officer had said, so they went back to the store around 10 o'clock, right? So 10 o'clock to 3.30, that car's still there. So all she's staging the crime scene. And then she has the audacity to, you know, physically injure herself and, and make it look like she is also a victim. Which could still all be post-murder, though. Like panic. Oh yeah, it's a piece of shit move. But mm-hmm. I mean, she she got life without possibility of parole, mm-hmm. which I have read is called LWOPT. LWOPT. We also have leave without pay, which is also called LWOP. At my oh, work. well, different. <laughs> <laughs> without pay or without parole? Yeah. Hmm. hmm. That is the Lululemon murder or the yoga store murder. And that is what I have for you. That's a bummer. It's just absolutely horrendous. Like, the whole thing was so unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. Like, this was an overreaction for fucking sure. Mm -hmm. But this episode is going to air on uh, Monday, the 27th of September. And on Wednesday, September 29th, Venus in Scorpio will be trying. Trying. With... Neptune and Pisces. So this is a romantic day. Ooh, all the water. Uh, that could bring love and passion and creativity. So you can soak that up. And then the next day, Thursday, September 30th, Venus and Scorpio will be square. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. With Jupiter and Aquarius. So on this day, don't take yourself so seriously. Don't be too emotional or obsessive. This could lead to problems and tension. So just kind of chill on Thursday, the 30th. Yeah, Venus and Aquarius sound like a crazy, or sorry, Scorpio and Aquarius sounds like a crazy combo. Yeah. And it's Scorpio and Venus. Oh, Jesus. You know what that's yeah. like. Let so me just... tell you. Let me tell you. Oh, Jesus. Keep that in mind on, Have on some that teas. Thursday. Take a chill pill. Yeah. yeah. Put on a cozy some sweater. A Xanax. Smoke a little pot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <or> edible. <laughs> or two Whatever if you just need to like end the relax. day early. <laughs> yeah, so you don't think anymore. Just go to bed at like seven. Yeah. Yeah. I wish. It's like my <laughs> dream. <laughs> Sounds like you have a lot of Pisces in you. <laughs> yeah, you want to just, you want to sleep. I'm a mom that works uh, full time. <laughs> yeah, it, that might not be astrologically based. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's just life-based. Yeah, I'm just tired. Awesome. Is there any other astrology, Sarah? There is. So on the 27th, the day this airs, we are officially entering our Mercury retrograde. Oh, fuck. No, no, where no. Where it's going to be. I'm trying to get a job. Until October 18th. So maybe like. 
It's not, it's too not that long. long. No, and then it'll be in the the shadow state again until I believe November second. Yeah, but that is basically like the time when you don't really want to have terrible miscommunications about big life projects and things like that like getting a job yeah just make sure that whatever you're writing down in an email or however you're communicating your ideas you do so very clearly and make sure that that communication is still a two-way street because this is actually mercury in libra and being wishy-washy is a huge huge pitfall for that mercury in retrograde retrograde during libra yeah and probably not a good time for travel or buying expensive electronics and things like that too big life decisions are a little bit definitely wishy-washy <laughs> a little bit definitely yeah right yeah i hate ending on like a want want note but i'm very like i literally i'll have a lot of applications due within the month oh oh man fingers crossed for you i will say that if your communication isn't the best during this time we are not going to take it personally and we would <laughs> still love to hear from you <laughs> so you can reach out to us on twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook, TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com and check out our website at www.truecrimetrine.com. All right. New quote goes as follows. Anyone can be a millionaire, but to be a billionaire, you need an astrologer. J.P. Morgan. Chase my yes, bank. but also eat the rich. Yeah. So, so we should use astrology to make more money and eat the fucking rich. And take their Lululemons. <laughs> yeah, and their bedroom town and their iPhone 5. <laughs> their iPhone 5s. I don't know if we want that now. I think it's like the iPhone like 874. <laughs> I was going to say, the iPhone 5 wouldn't like even work anymore. I, know. I think it's the 12. Oh, it's the 12 honest, now, probably, I huh? think it's the yeah. 12. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, anywho. <laughs> so, you know. He was a billionaire. Yeah. He wasn't wrong, but use astrology for good. Yes. Do it. Manifest. Use your witchy bullshit for good. Manifest those energies. And good is eating the rich. (laughs) Mmm, tasty. Mmm, fatty. (laughs) Good night. Good night. (laughs) Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.